0: That's right, Facebook really did it. As we all probably know by now, they changed their name to Meta. And this is not just a name change. This isn't just a rebranding to make their image more friendly. This has massive implications, and this changes the whole direction of Facebook. So I'm going to talk about this in this episode. We also have Microsoft passing Apple to become the world's most valuable company once again. Good job, Microsoft. Microsoft grew their revenue by 22% last year, and the numbers are even better than this first glance. We're going to dive into the numbers on Microsoft. Both Apple and Amazon miss on their expectations, which is very rare. Apple almost never misses, but they did. They missed on their expectations, and both of them have cited supply chain issues. So we'll be going over that. And then we have Vici Properties seemingly missing their FFO estimate by a lot. This was really confusing to me. How did the company miss this FFO when they collected 100% of rents? Everything seemed to be going on schedule, but they missed their FFO target by quite a bit. So We have a lot to get to in this episode. As always, if you enjoy this type of content, you can subscribe to the channel and follow along for free. Now, another thing I'll mention just quickly, just briefly before we jump in, is that this website that you're seeing right now is part of the Patreon. It's included in the Patreon. It's called Qualtrum Insights, and it's my attempt to to make what I think is the single best stock info tool in the market today. We're constantly developing it and improving it, and I think this will get better and better. So if you want to try this out, you can join the Patreon. If not, that's fine as well. Now let's go ahead and jump right in. Facebook says that they're renaming themselves to Meta, and this is way more than just a rename. This is not the company trying to correct its public image. That's part of it. In fact, the public image and the branding of Facebook was definitely a part of this change. They say the Facebook name was such a drag that employees referred to it as the brand tax, meaning that every other product they had, whether it was Instagram or Oculus, being connected to Facebook was a tax on those brands, an unnecessary tax. So they did rename it in part to correct their brand. And I think that that's the biggest single benefit of this change is improving the brand. But this goes way beyond just improving the brand. Mark Zuckerberg is not just a CEO. He's not someone stepping in and running this company. He's the one that created this company in his Harvard dorm. Mark Zuckerberg is in a much different situation than Sundar Pichai of Google or Tim Cook of Apple or Jassy of Amazon or Satya Nadella of Microsoft. Zuckerberg is the founder, the owner, and the operator of Facebook. He can do whatever he wants. So not only is he going to change the company name, but he's focusing all efforts of this company, which is now Meta, on a whole new goal. Mark Zuckerberg himself explicitly says that they're changing the direction of the company.
1: I am proud to announce that starting today, our company is now Meta. Our mission remains the same. It's still about bringing people together. Our apps and their brands, they're not changing either. And we are still the company that designs technology around people. So he tries to say, okay,
0: everything's remaining the same. But then in this next sentence, he describes how things are changing.
1: But now we have a new North Star to help bring the metaverse to life. And we have a new name that reflects the full breadth of what we do and the future that we want to help build
0: the metaverse is the new North Star. That is the focus of the company. They're making an entire new division. They're breaking out the finances for the metaverse, and they're still going to be maintaining and trying to grow Facebook and Instagram, but this is the new focus and direction of Facebook. If you were a Facebook investor a month ago, now you're a metaverse investor, and they're pouring in at least $10 billion starting this year, 2021, they have 10 billion spent on the metaverse. This is expected to rise dramatically. They suspect that over the next three years alone, this metaverse investment could cost $50 billion. This is a significant bet. Mark Zuckerberg is in this unique position as being the owner and operator of the company to where he has so much clout and control that he can do anything that he wants. He has way more leverage than most CEOs of most companies, and he's putting all of it, everything that he can, into the metaverse. This is the most significant bet I've seen any big tech company make I think in the past 10 years. Now with such a massive amount dedicated to this new project that investors don't fully understand and something that could take a decade plus until we see an ROI, a return on this actual investment, investors are a little bit skeptical to say the least. It's interesting how the fears and concerns of Facebook investors have rapidly shifted over the past month. It used to be that Facebook had a bad brand And they had Congress angry at them. And there's lots of journalists that are upset at Facebook. But now the big concern is the metaverse. And what does this mean for the future of Facebook? Are they going to be successful? Is Apple going to come out with something next year and crush them? There's a lot of different important debates that are happening right now with Facebook investors. And in the meantime, the stock hasn't done too well. It's up 20% year to date, while other companies are up significantly, multiples over what Facebook is. Now, Facebook as a company, or rather we can call it Meta now, this is going to be difficult for me to call it Meta. So I apologize in advance if I call it Facebook. But Meta has a PE ratio of 20 and a trailing PE ratio of 22. This is a cheap company on paper. Pretty straightforward. If you look at any of the fundamentals, whether it's the revenue growth, the EBITDA growth, the free cash flow, the net income, every single metric of this company shows that it's pretty cheap. Right now, they have no debt. They have a lot of cash and they're dedicating all of this cash right now to buybacks and funding the meta. That's what they're trying to do. It's pretty clear to me that Facebook is using share buybacks as a way to make investors okay with spending a lot of money on the metaverse. You can see that during 2019 to 2020, they did nothing in share buybacks. Their share count was completely flat and at the same time, their cash balance steadily grew. So they weren't returning that money to investors for the past two years. But just recently, as they announced that they're spending this enormous amount of money, $10 billion plus per year on the metaverse, and that money might not get a return on your investment for years or even decades... They also announced that they're doing aggressive share buybacks. I think it's clear that this is a way that Mark Zuckerberg is trying to appease the investors and try to get them on board with funding meta. He's throwing them a bone. He's saying, hey, we're spending a lot of money on the metaverse, but at least we're giving share buybacks now. See the share count going down pretty dramatically. So Zuckerberg's wanting to appease the current investor base and give him a pass of funding this new project. And I think that it's working. I think investors will get on board with this. So overall, this is a bit of a mixed bag for me. I think that Facebook is a good investment fundamentally, but I am concerned about how much money is going to be going into this new project. At a $10 billion spend rate per year minimum, and that's expected to go up rapidly over every year, the amount of OPEX and CAPEX spending this company's doing is going to eat away at a lot of this free cash flow a lot of that money is going to be reinvested right back into the company. And this bet, this whole metaverse, may not play out like investors are expecting. If there's really big markets like this, Facebook is going to face really harsh competition. And I personally don't believe that Apple will sit on the sidelines forever and watch Facebook run away with augmented reality. So as of right now, I am cautiously optimistic about Facebook. All right, now moving on from Facebook, there's a company that I am very optimistic about and I'm not so cautious about because I feel very very confident with this company. And that company is Microsoft. They have recently surpassed Apple to become the biggest company in the world by market cap. And in my opinion, I don't think it's I don't think it's not deserved. Microsoft deserves to have a very high multiple based on the resilience, the diversification, and the fact that they are the SaaS king. They are the subscription king of the world. And I have talked about the subscription business model on numerous occasions, and the reason that these companies do so well. I have a video called Why Subscriptions Are the Holy Grail of Investing. And I talk about companies like Netflix and Microsoft that have this nice, resilient, reoccurring revenue every single month that allows them to have predictable income that they can continue to pour into other business ventures. This is the business model of the future, and Microsoft has realized that for a long time. Now, this doesn't come as much of a surprise, but Microsoft beat their revenue expectations and their earnings expectations. The reason this isn't a surprise is because they almost always outperform. They always beat their earnings. It's just a very consistent company. But 22% revenue growth, that's pretty fast. There's a lot of smaller companies, like small tech companies, that try to grow this fast, and Microsoft is this massive company, the biggest one in the world, still growing the size of much smaller companies? And what's more meaningful to this growth is even though there's other companies that might have 40 or 50% revenue growth, Microsoft keeps a lot of the money that they make. They keep a lot of this revenue as profits. They have a profit margin of above 40% and it's expanding over time, which is absolutely incredible. Now, I'm gonna throw an image on the screen here to illustrate. All the different products and businesses that Microsoft has, and how quickly they're growing or shrinking. Now what you may notice with this chart is that many of their biggest businesses are not slowing down with their growth, they're accelerating. Take a look at Azure and the cloud business. It started off with 62% growth, that was fast, it slowed down to 47%, but then it sped back up to 48%, 50%, 50%, 51%, and 50% as of last quarter. For the past four quarters, they've grown by 50% or more. It's not slowing down. They're just continuing to grow at the same speed, and they're growing faster now than they did a full year ago. Now, if we go to Qualtrum Insights to take a look at the fundamental data of Microsoft, this company really is like the poster child for the company that has the perfect fundamentals. If you're trying to conjure up in your mind a company that has the perfect balance sheet and income statement and cash flow, this company would be it. It would be Microsoft. That would be the outcome of just trying to think of the perfect fundamentals. Everything with this company is moving in the right direction. Their revenue growth is so consistent, it looks almost fictional. Their EBITDA growth is growing like crazy as well. Their free cash flow growth, their net income growth, their debts declining over time. You have their dividend, a long history of dividend increases with never having an interruption. Their last recorded cash balance was $131 billion. This is over double the amount of debt they have. Their earnings per share growth is exceptional and consistent. It's constantly moving up, bringing down the P-E ratio of the company, making it cheaper on paper as they earn more and more money. And I expect this to continue because of how high of a margin business this is and how consistent it will be. Part of that EPS growth is a result of them just obliterating their shares outstanding. Since 2018, they really upped their share buyback program. They're really aggressively buying shares every single quarter. In 2018, they went from 7.68 billion to 7.66 to 7.64 to 7.63. You see the trend here. This is happening every single quarter. As you own this company, you just own a greater and greater portion of the pie every quarter and they're still able to do this share buyback while aggressively expanding their business and growing their top line. So again, Microsoft is the poster child of the company with the absolute best fundamentals. Now, Microsoft has gone up 16% in the past 30 days. It's really taken off. It's at a price of 330 right now, just under 330, and if you're concerned about the current valuation and you believe that you might have missed the boat with Microsoft, Let me offer a little bit of insight here. Here's the valuation that I did September 23rd. So not too long ago, but the company's up 10% from this valuation. I basically said that Microsoft is worth 350. That's what I believe it's worth. And how I got there was based on a 35 Ford PE ratio, which I strongly believe that Microsoft would trade at, and the estimated earnings in 2023 were $10.06, that was the estimated earnings. So a 35 Ford PE ratio multiplied by that $10.06 is $350. That's why I believe that Microsoft is worth $350. Now, I also gave the caveat that Microsoft almost always beats their earnings estimates, and they did this time. So, this $10.06 that the analysts were expecting in 2023, well, now they've increased that to $10.37. So, if we apply the same multiple, the $35 on this $10.37, that leaves us with a share price of $363. So, Yes, I still think there's value here. I think even on a conservative estimate, if you expect that Microsoft will trade at a 35 PE ratio, which I think is very reasonable, there's still a lot of value here. So far in my portfolio, I have around $8,000 of gains and I continue to just sit there and buy more of it and earn dividends. And I'll probably continue to buy this stock until it gets to 350, because in my opinion, it's only a matter of time. In terms of risk, I really think that the biggest risk of losing money in Microsoft is an overall market multiple contraction. The market goes through a huge contraction and lots of ETFs sell down. This stock could be dragged down with it, but I think the fundamentals of the company are very strong and I see a very bright future. Now, moving on from Microsoft, we also have Apple and Amazon both citing similar issues, which is supply constraints, right? They can't get your product to you quick enough because there's so many there's so much logistics that has to happen, and that's moving slower than expected. Now, Apple's miss was much less than Amazon's. Amazon missed pretty bad on their earnings. It really did surprise investors. It's down 2.7% today as a result. And investors are giving Amazon a little bit of a pass with this. If this was any other company, then the stock would be down like 10% plus. But because it's Amazon, they can afford to miss a few quarters, and people will still continue to invest in the company. But in my opinion, Looking at these two issues, the supply issues, I don't think that these are long-term issues. I don't think that either of these companies are going to really have any type of real long-term impact that will affect the fundamentals of the companies. So if you are bearish on Amazon or bearish on Apple, I don't think this changes your investment thesis. If you're bullish on Amazon or bullish on Apple, I also don't believe that this issue should change your investment thesis. Now, Gene Munster is also asked about the same issue do Apple investors need to concern themselves with this miss? Here's his thoughts on the subject.
1: You just look through it to next year and think you know, things are going to get better and they're eventually going to make every single sale that had been delayed uh, that we've seen so far. For the most part, I think that's accurate. They're going to capture this supply constraint the way I would like to think of it as 2021 supply pain is 2022 sales gains, and we need to peel back some of the layers here, and if I can uh, briefly do that and use Josh's uh, reporting as uh, my framework for this. I think it was incredibly insightful, his conversation with Tim Cook, and if we apply those comments, I won't go through them line item by line item, but essentially they would have beat by a little bit for the September quarter. They would have guided December, if not for this, uh, to about $124 billion in revenue. The street was at $118 billion. That, uh, I'm using a solid revenue growth number of 5% as as my benchmark there. And so that gets to a 12% year-over-year growth number off some very difficult comps. And so I wanna uh, kind of fast forward. We can get our heads, I can get my head wrapped around the numbers pretty easily in the near term and kind of miss the bigger picture here. But we have a very difficult uh, comp in December, like much more difficult than meets the eye. This is, they're comping against the iPhone uh, shift in timing a year ago. Uh, that is their, you know, 50, 60% of their revenue. And yet still they're going to have, uh, let's call it 5% growth with an increasing supply chain. And what the, the, you put all this together, the company is growing, call it 10% uh, plus, 10, 12% plus. Dan said it right. Most people think next year could be flat-ish. I think street revenue is for like up 4%. But if we take uh, anything away from the results here, is that uh, this company, something bigger is going on here. And I've been a long time time positive on what Apple, uh, what their trajectory is. But I think this accelerating digital transformation is significant. It's going to impact all of 2022 and beyond. And I think we're going to, uh, Apple will ultimately, we will be surprised by what their revenue growth is next year. I think it's going to be closer to 10% than 4%. So this is the big concern with Apple
0: investors all the time. The comps, the comparables. I talked about this in a video. Apple will routinely have quarters or years where they have so much in sales in one quarter that the next year, if they're not releasing some groundbreaking product that year, the comps compared to last year Will make the company not look like it's growing quite as fast as it is now moving on from big tech we have to talk about one of my biggest holdings which is vici properties this is a real estate company that controls a lot of the properties in vegas and they had what seemingly was a really big miss the title is vici properties ffo misses by 17 cents revenue in line now at first glance 17 cents doesn't seem like a lot Until you realize that they had $0.28 and they missed by 17 So this was a big FFO miss. Now I see the comments. I see you in the comments saying, Rest in peace, Joseph Carlson. People pointing out that this is the destruction of Vici and that the whole thesis is over. But really, this miss is not that big of a deal. And the title makes it look like a bigger deal than it is. This is the reason the stock really hasn't sold off. It's still right around $29 a share. Even though Vici missed on their FFO, their AFFO per share, which is the one metric you really want to pay attention to, was 5.9% growth year over year. So they're growing on behalf of the shareholder, your AFFO per share. If you own one share of Vici, you're earning more money with that share than you did a year ago by 5.9%, which is really quick growth if you compare that to other REITs. Now, I tried to figure out why Vici missed their FFO estimate, And on the earnings call, they explained it that they just have a lot of deals outstanding and they've incurred some costs before some of those deals close. So really, it's just a timing issue. This company has a lot going on. They have a lot of things that they're having to time and they've incurred a few expenses before they've received the revenue of some of these deals. So fundamentally, this changes nothing with the company. They're still on track like they were before. They still have all the same deals. They still have collected 100% of rents. This really has been just a timing issue. So with this last earnings report, I'm really not more bullish or bearish on Vici. I have the exact same thesis that I had before. The earnings report really changed nothing. And as far as this company staying flat for a while, as far as it just trading around the same price, $29, $30, $31, I think that's okay. Not every company's going to zoom up right after you buy it. You can't expect every company to do that. As long as you have a margin of safety, you have the downside protected, and the company has ample upside sometimes it's just best to wait. And I think in the case of Vici, I am fine waiting and collecting these massive dividends every three months. So that's all for this week. I hope you enjoyed this little update and my take on these different companies, as well as the update on my portfolio. And keep in mind, if you're new around here, we do things differently than most financial content creators. I show the same portfolio and the same money, the same investments every single week, whether it's good or bad, whether the market goes up or down, you get a level of transparency that you don't get with other channels. So if that's something that you appreciate, you can follow along for free by hitting the subscribe button. Other than that, enjoy your
1: Halloween weekend and I'll see you in the next one.